Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. This book, like no other book, invokes all kinds of emotions in people when you say, we're going to study the book of Revelation. And some people are excited. Many of you were clapping your hands and just excited. I mean, it's a great book, and many of you know that. And some of you are thinking, man, why do we have to study that book? I mean, nobody really knows what it means anyway. I mean, it's all symbolic, and why bother? Why don't we just study another book? And some people to say that we're going to study the book of Revelation invokes fear in their hearts. And they think it's a scary book. I mean, it's spooky because it's filled with plagues and earthquakes and wars and blood and scary creatures and strange invasions from another kind. And people are afraid. I don't know why people are afraid to read and study the book of Revelation when they'll watch a movie That's even, in many respects, as graphic as this book is. We'll sit and watch a movie for two or three hours and go, Oh, man, did you see that head on that creature? It just blew up. Did you see that rewinding? Oh, oh, yeah. But but the book of, oh, man, that's scary. Don't read it. Don't even look at it. You might burn up like they did in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is my favorite movie, by the way. Don't do it. You need not fear. It's a wonderful book. The book outlines beautifully. I like to call it a heavenly outline. It's found in chapter 1, verse 19. Just kind of flip over to verse 19, if you will. Here's the outline for the whole book. Really simple, really easy. Write the things which you have seen, John, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Verse 19 is the outline for the entire book. Write the things you have seen and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. By the way, that's the Greek word, take place after this. After this is metatautau. And it means in the future, after this. So chapter 1, here's the outline. Chapter 1, the things John has seen. What has he seen? What will we see? 
the resurrected and glorified Jesus in chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3, the things which are the church age or the church era or the times of the Gentiles, the things which are. And then in chapters 4 through 22, the things which will take place after this. What would that be? The tribulation, the new age or the new era. The things which shall come, which are to come. You see, real easy outline. And the sequence of events, we are living in chapters 2 and 3, the church age. And I believe that chapters 4 and 5, the things which will take place after this, the church in heaven, is going to take place soon. We're on the brink of that. We are on the brink of the time of Jacob's trouble known as the Great Tribulation. It's a terrible and awful time of seven years of pestilence and suffering and pain and trouble for those who are still on the earth. The Great Tribulation is found in chapters 6 through 19. The tribulation period. And concerning the tribulation, there are four major viewpoints, if you will, or positions. Four. The first, and what we like to call ourselves here at Calvary, pre-tribbers or pre-tribulationists. These are people who believe that the church will be caught up in the rapture, snatched away, to heaven before the Antichrist comes and this terrible, catastrophic events take place on the earth. Pre-tribulation, before the tribulation. That's one position. Secondly, there are people who call themselves mid-tribulation people or mid-tribulationists. And they believe that in the midst of the seven years of tribulation, at the three and a half year mark, a world leader comes on the scene and he causes everyone in the world to take the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead. And if you don't take the mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. This world leader will be a peacemaker. And around the three and a half year mark or point or mid-tribulation, the church gets raptured which is the beginning of sorrows that Jesus talks about. They link it to Matthew chapter 24, mid-tribulationist. And then the third viewpoint is those who believe in the post-tribulation or post-tribulationist. These are people who believe that the church will go through the tribulation and then will be taken up and raptured. Now, that is difficult to believe. Because it means, and it doesn't really make sense, because it means that the church will go through the tribulation, then they will go to heaven in the rapture, then they will come right back down with Jesus at his second coming to reign and rule on the earth. That doesn't make sense, quite honestly. But people hold that position. I do not believe the Bible teaches that Christians are going to go through the tribulation. I don't believe it for a lot of reasons, just to name a few. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, 
Don't turn there. Write it down. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Paul the apostle said that to the church at Thessalonica. Second Peter chapter two. God knows how to deliver the godly and reserve the ungodly. God has not appointed us to wrath. God knows how to deliver the godly and reserve the ungodly for the day of tribulation. So I don't believe that we as Christians are appointed to wrath. Why? Because the Bible says that when you put your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ, God has already poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Jesus has already taken the wrath of God that is going to come upon the earth. Going, not if, not maybe, not could happen. It is a fact. It is going to happen. And God has already poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, for you, if you are a believer. So God has already poured out his wrath on Jesus. He's not going to allow you to go through wrath again. So we do not hold the position here of Calvary, at Calvary Chapel of the post-tribulationist. Because Jesus has already took my punishment and praise the Lord. He really has. So the Bible teaches, I believe, that before God's wrath comes down, Christians go up. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and then there are those who are pan-tribulationists. They believe that will all pan out in the end. So don't worry about it. Those are the four positions. I don't think that if you believe that you're going to get raptured in the middle of the tribulation that you're not a Christian. I don't believe that if you believe in post-tribulation that you're not a Christian. I don't think... Your salvation rests on your position. When we get raptured before the tribulation, God will show you that I was right. <laughs> You'll be like, going to heaven. Oh, yeah, Rodney was right. Man, look at the earth. Woo! I want to get raptured from the pulpit. I really do. Or when I was on a plane this week, I thought... Lord, if the plane is going down, let me get raptured before it goes down. That's what I would like. So, whatever your position, God is greater. Amen? So let's begin our study this morning. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you are there, would you say a hearty amen? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Underline that. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, John sets the stage right out the gate. He sets the stage for the entire book as he opens the curtain with the statement, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some of your Bibles kind of in the heading, you know, in the beginning of the book, it'll say, some of them say the revelation of St. John. Some of them say that. That's not correct. Notice the Bible says it is in verse 1, the revelation of who? The revelation of who? Of Jesus. 
Now, the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypse. And it literally means an unveiling or an uncovering, a presentation of something that was hidden. It kind of has the idea of this master painter who just kind of finished his painting, and it's a beautiful painting, but he's not ready to present it yet. And so he's covered it up. And then as the people gather together, then he removes the veil that had the painting covered. It's the unveiling. It's an appearing or unveiling of Jesus Christ and his final victory over Satan and sin and the world system. Now, one of the misnomers that I hear people say a lot, they refer to the book of Revelation and they say revelations. Are you guys going to study revelations with an S? It's not multiple revelations. It is singular. It is the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's one revelation. So be careful as you talk about the book of Revelation. It's one revelation, singular. It's a single revelation or unveiling or presentation of one person, Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say to you right out the gate, if you're one of those people who enjoy prophecy, I know there are a lot of people here that enjoy prophecy. It's been five or six years, and people have asked me, when are you going to teach the book of Revelation? And so many people enjoy prophecy, and that is good. But this book is not written to enlighten you in the area of prophecy. That is not why the book is written, to enlighten you in the area of prophecy. That is the wrong reason to study this book. If you approach this book or the book of Revelation with that heart and that desire, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find yourself struggling to come up with some scriptures to support your position, and you'll be twisting the scriptures to prove your point. And many people do that. You don't study the book of Revelation to enlighten you in prophecy. This book is written that you might write this down, encounter Jesus personally. That is why it is written. Not that you can get into prophecy. You can understand the deep and the hidden things of God. No. It's the wrong reason to study. This book is intended to give you a deeper understanding of his glory and greatness. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ to cause you to have a greater intimacy with the Lord Jesus personally. That is the singular one reason why this book is written. Is it filled with prophecy? Yes. Is it filled with the deep things of God? Yes, not unknowable things of God, but the deep things of God, yes. But it is not written for that end or for that person. That you might know Jesus, that is why it is written. Now, here's the scene. It's approximately A.D. 95 or 96. The first century church was under extreme, severe, and heavy persecution. And because of the persecution, these Christians needed a revelation of Jesus Christ. They needed to know 
that Jesus was going to come and deliver them and reign and rule on the earth, on this earth that was causing them so much pain and so much heartache and extreme persecution to their families. Now, it was the summer of A.D. 68. Caesar Nero committed suicide, and several years later, the Roman emperor Titus Flavius Domitian came to the throne. The historians say that Caesar Nero was an insane devil, but Domitian was much more dangerous because he was a sane devil. This guy was unbelievable. Domitian was as cold-blooded a murderer as you would ever meet in the pages of history. He demanded to be worshipped as God, and everyone who spoke to him had to address him as our Lord and God, Domitian. When Christians refused to worship him, he had them thrown in lion's den, burned at the stake, wrapped in animal skins, and fed to the dogs. He would dip them in hot wax, take them to his imperial garden. These are your brothers and sisters. Stay with me. These are your family members. And he would take these Christians dipped in wax to his imperial garden, strategically plant them throughout his imperial garden, and light them on fire. And say, you said you were the light of the world, then be the light of the world. Awful. This guy was incredibly evil. He would crucify mothers and wrap and drape their babies around their necks. I mean, this guy was sick. He wiped out millions of our brothers and sisters. Now, Domitian is the emperor. He's demanding to be worshipped as God. And the Christians are refusing. And so Domitian decides to go after the leaders of the church. Now, remember John is the last living apostle. He's 100 years old. He's an old guy. He's been traveling around, preaching the gospel. People are coming out, hearing him. John is very famous. He is a leader in the church. And Domitian, he sends out his henchmen to find John, and they bring him to a kangaroo court, and they sentence him to death. They tried to kill John. You know the story. They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil. And when he wouldn't die, God thing, God thing. They had to do something with him. So he was banished to the little island of Patmos, which is 50 miles away from the city of Ephesus. It's 10 miles long and five miles wide. This is an island where people go to do hard labor. They would endure chains and little to no clothing, no vegetation on this island, very little food. This was a rocky, barren, seemingly God-forsaken island where people were sent to die. It was while John was exiled to the island of Patmos that he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Interesting. While exiled. God spoke. Isn't that true, I think? It's been true in my life. When I felt rocky, barren, exiled, if you will, alone, persecuted, that God spoke. It's in those times 
that God speaks. Listen, maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're feeling, Rodney, man, I'm dry. It's awful. I am so dry. I feel so barren. I I feel so isolated. Well, then listen for the voice of the Lord. Because like John, the Lord will give you a revelation of himself. Listen. Don't whine and complain and call your friends. For prayer, of course. Listen. God wants to speak. And maybe you should listen. And I found that to be true even in my own life. God reveals himself in those times and he makes himself known in a fresh way. Well, John survived, Domitian dies, and the next emperor to the throne freed John. John comes back with this amazing revelation of Jesus Christ. And given the situation, as I said, and the circumstances that the Christians were going through and the things that they were enduring, the church needed to hear this revelation desperately that Jesus is coming. And this revelation that God gave to him to show his servants, notice in verse 1, of the things which must shortly take place. God the Father gave the contents of the book to his son, Jesus Christ, and the son gave it to his angels to give to John the things that must shortly take place, shortly take place. Now, shortly take place doesn't refer to short in time. It does not. In the Greek language, the word shortly literally means quickly or suddenly coming to pass indicating rapidity of execution after the beginning takes place. It means with speed, swiftness, quickness. The idea is not that the event will occur soon, but when it does occur, get this, it will be sudden. The events will start to increase in RPMs. It gets revved up. And then bam, 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 tighter and tighter, Closer and closer. Things just start to happen slowly. And then another sign. And then another sign. And then another. And all of a sudden, another. And another. And another. And another. Rapidity of execution. The things that shortly must take place. And it's these things which he sent and signified. Now, that's an interesting word signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, the word signified, you could say signified. You could say signified. It means to show by a sign or a code. A code? Yeah, a code. The book of Revelation is written in sign and code. Why? For three basic reasons. And they are pretty basic. Number one, it's written in sign or code to provide protection. Protection. Remember the Christians are being persecuted. And if the enemy got their hands on the revelation, they wouldn't understand it. And thus, there would be no incriminating evidence. They wouldn't have a clue as to what it was talking about because they didn't understand the sign or the code. The book is filled with signs or codes. And in order to properly understand the book, it is very important that you understand the first 65 books of the Bible. 
and particularly, get this, the Old Testament. That is why we study the whole Bible. One, because we believe in the whole Bible, not a Bible full of holes. Amen. I don't know about you. And because in order to properly understand the scriptures, you need to know the whole Bible. And so these guys, they would have needed to know the whole Bible and especially the 39 books of the Old Testament. The book of Revelation contains more than, get this, 500 allusions to the Old Testament. Of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them refer to the Old Testament. So those who knew the Old Testament and the scriptures, they would understand it. And those who didn't, well, it would provide protection for the Christians because they didn't understand it. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.